This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Nearly every day we hear troubling stories of at-risk children who struggle in school. They act out for attention and misbehave. In the worst cases, they turn to drugs and alcohol or join gangs and find security in a world that seems alien and uncomfortable. But why do they do this? Well, according to my guest for this part of today's show, it all begins in the brain. And he starts with discussing how it is that a mother's exposure to toxins such as illicit drugs and alcohol during pregnancy can affect the growing fetus as well as how a child's experience of trauma and neglect in early life may damage the child's developing nervous system. And that damage may lead to learning and memory deficiencies and a host of behavioral problems, everything from chronic temper tantrums in early childhood to acts of physical and sexual violence in later adolescence. That sounds a little depressing, but it's not going to be because our guest is also going to get into a lot of problem-solving approaches to behavior management And he's got a lot of research-proven tips and intervention strategies that parents and teachers can use at home and in school. I'm Armin Brott. We'll start talking about the mystery of risk, what it is, where it comes from, and more importantly, what we can do about it when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to. Nope. I'm sure you've got a perfectly good excuse. Kids, work, (laughs) I get it. You're busy. So what better time than now? Let's begin. Raise one finger if you're a man. Ladies, none yet. Oh, count in your head if you're driving. Now, three more fingers for everyone over 60, two over 50, one over 40, One more if you're not physically active. Another finger if anyone in your family has type 2 diabetes. Another if you've got high blood pressure. If you're overweight, raise another finger. Two if you're very overweight. And three if you're really overweight. You've just taken the world's first audio prediabetes test. And if you're holding up five or more fingers, visit doihaveprediabetes.org or talk to your doctor. There's no excuse because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Ira Chasnov, who's the author of The Mystery of Risk, Drugs, Alcohol, Pregnancy, and the Vulnerable Child. Ira, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, let's talk about... Pregnancy. Let's start with pregnancy because it's it's obviously where everything begins, as far as mm-hmm. people go. Um, you know, there there's a lot of people now who are are being told. I was just actually teaching my class for expectant fathers, and there was a big discussion going on about uh, a lot of the guys. What the uh, OBs had told the wife that it's okay to have a glass or two of wine from time to time. And I remember, not all that long ago, it was absolutely taboo to say anything about that. But now it's getting to be much more more common, uh, although I th- still think there are a lot of people who are probably uh, afraid of lawsuits and would refrain from suggesting that. 
And as medical marijuana gets to be more and more common and more and more legal, there are a lot of women who are saying, well, if it's legal, it must be okay during pregnancy then. And uh, I, I actually heard you speak at a conference in D.C. Uh, several months ago and was intrigued by this whole idea of, of what's going on. So tell us about the importance of pregnancy and how important it is to stay away from stuff. Okay. Yeah, I know there's a lot of uh, questions out there and, you know, so-called controversy, but the science is, is very clear. So here's what uh, prospective parents have to consider. Any substance a woman takes, whether it's uh, nicotine or alcohol or marijuana or something stronger, it's going to cross the placenta and will reach the fetus. And when you do studies of the fetus and look for concentrations of the drug, you know, where is the drug in the fetus, the greatest concentrations are in the fetal brain. So the main effect we see from all substances is effects on the developing fetal brain. And that's what has the greatest impact over the long term. So bottom line, you, it's not safe to drink to smoke, to use marijuana, or any other drug during pregnancy, period. At all? There, At there, all. There are no, you're saying there are no safe limits? There is no safe amount that you can, you can use or drink. Okay. Now, uh, people push back on that and saying, well, you know, a little bit is okay. And probably for some people, a little bit may be okay. But there are all sorts of factors that come into it. It's not only the, you know, the chemistry of the drug. It also has to do with genetics. And we've published a lot of twin studies where a mother has, for instance, had alcohol during the pregnancy, and one twin is severely affected, and the other twin is completely fine. And those, you know, they're big fancy names for what the, the it's called discordant teratogenesis which is not important. What is important is that there are factors that we can't predict. We don't know how genetically vulnerable a fetus is to any of these substances. So absolutely, the only right thing to say from a physician to a patient is there is no amount of, of drug or alcohol that's safe to use. Yeah. I'm not a physician, but I was I was making a similar case is that there for a an OB to say a glass of wine is okay is such an open-ended thing because it would a lot of it's going to have to depend on the the weight of the mother and where you are in the pregnancy and whether she has certain genes that make her more likely to, to process alcohol differently than other people. I mean there's so many Absolutely. factors so a, you know saying something as open-ended as a glass of wine or three drops of a medical marijuana compound or something mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. it's it's empty and doesn't do anybody any good i think to have something yeah. that's as as yeah. ill-defined as that i guess and the other factor that comes into this too on the part of physicians in our own work we have found many physicians are not aware of the most recent science around any of these substances uh for instance marijuana if a woman uses marijuana in the first month after conception, there's a significantly higher rate of babies being born missing the front part of their brain. Now, 
the majority of physicians are not even aware of that. But that's published science. Well, but I think the pushback on that one might be is that the percentage of babies born missing the front part of the brain is incredibly small anyway. So if you even if you doubled that or tripled it, you're still into something that's impossible to predict. That's absolutely. And, and you know, the probability of it happening is still not very great, but it's greater than if you didn't smoke that marijuana. <laughs> right. So right, exactly. people do have exactly. to... Yeah. have to make a choice. You know, am I going to take that risk for my child or not? Well, I think another part of this is important part of this is to look at, and I want to look at this more. We've got to t- take a break in a couple of minutes, but more in the second part, mm-hmm. um, about how this affects kids, because I think a, a natural response is, well, okay, so we know if I drink alcohol that the majority of the influence of the alcohol is going to go to my brain, and mm-hmm. after a couple hours, I'm fine. So mm-hmm. couldn't we apply the same sort of logic to the fetal brain? You're saying that the marijuana or whatever it is, the vast majority of it when you measure the concentrations is in the fetal brain. So after a couple hours, that should should work its way out of their system, and we should be fine. Mm-hmm. It's a nice thought, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So straighten this out. Yeah. Um, yeah. As it crosses into the fetal brain, it will remain there. Marijuana, for example, is very soluble in fat. That means it dissolves into fat and stays into fat for a long time, which is why an adult who uses marijuana can have a positive urine toxicology for up to two weeks after using the marijuana. Um, So, and the fetal brain is even, as it's developing, is even a higher proportion of fat. So, uh, you have some permanent effects changes in the way the brain is developing in the fetus when a woman smokes marijuana during pregnancy or alcohol or any of the other substances you want to talk about. Okay. You know, I actually was, was looking at the clock wrong. We have a couple of minutes until the break, so that's what it's okay. thing. But um, So how else does that affect the fetal brain? Well, you know, the different drugs affect different parts of the fetal brain. So let's take, let's talk about the most common. Nicotine, cigarette smoking during pregnancy, uh, nicotine crosses into the fetal brain and affects the front part of the brain. It's called the prefrontal cortex and affects the way that, that the child long-term then is able to regulate behavior, to think ahead for consequences. Uh, the, the, the prefrontal cortex is responsible for how you function on a daily basis and make decisions. Um, alcohol, on the other hand, although it can affect a little bit the prefrontal cortex, it has a lot of impact on the midsection of the brain. That's called the limbic system. And what you can get there is actual uh, malformations of the inner part of the brain. Some babies born, depending on timing when the mother drank, uh, could be born missing a whole section of their brain. Uh, In latter pregnancy, the alcohol affects the cerebral cortex, that is the, the outer shell of the brain, and has a great impact on IQ. Uh, and can cause a significant intellectual disability, uh, what people used to call mental retardation. So the part of the brain that's affected depends on which, which drug 
the woman is using, as well as when during the pregnancy she uses it. Now, are there things that women can do if they've already done some of these no-nos? Yeah, the, the best thing, of course, is to stop. And then the next thing, talk to her doctor. Now, there, I want to make it clear, there is no indication for terminating the pregnancy uh, because a woman has had alcohol or marijuana or anything else, but she does need to stop because clearly the sooner you stop and become abstinent from all substances, right. the better for the child. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Ira Chasnoff, who's the author of The Mystery of Risk, Drugs, Alcohol, Pregnancy, and the Vulnerable Child. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Ira about risk and pregnancy, and I want to get into some of the additional things that are happening further out in childhood, some of the, the manifestations of this drug use that's uh, happening before. I'm Armin Brott. You're listening to Positive Parenting. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. You hear it every time you finish a meal and never feel anything. But if we were able to associate this sound with a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask. Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change your after-meal behaviour through brainwashing. Because food waste costs the average family $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. And $1,500 extra bucks is like getting a pay raise. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Which could pay for your child's braces. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Check out my braces. So when you hear this sound, rethink your behaviour. Cook it. Store it. Share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Chris, can you put the video game controller down for a second? I can talk and play. Oh, I'm totally annihilating this punk kid in Nebraska. I just feel like you're not acting like a grown-up in our relationship. M2, M2! Well, you know, you still ride your skateboard to work, there's the comic book collection, the race car bed. Look, I'm young at heart, but I put money to my 401k every paycheck. I picked up a few savings tips at feedthepig.org. I have control over my financial life now, and that feels pretty grown up. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. For free ideas and easy tips on ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. So, I bet I look like a grown up to you now. Well, except for the footy pajamas, I'd have to agree. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Ira Chasnoff, the author of The Mystery of Risk, Drugs, Alcohol, Pregnancy, and the Vulnerable Child. So let's talk uh, a little bit more about, and I know that it's the answer is going to be a similar one to, to the one you, ju- one you just gave about the, the manifestations mm-hmm. of, of, of drug use during pregnancy, how that mm-hmm. shows up afterwards. Mm-hmm. And the kid's going to be different depending on the drug. But right. generally speaking, there, this is something that is not just happening during the pregnancy, that you're talking about kids who are born with, with brain deformities or kids who are born with other, other issues. So talk about some right. of those as, as, as we get out into childhood a little bit. Sure. The only drug that affects, uh, for instance, IQ is alcohol. 
The other drugs, uh, nicotine, marijuana, you know, the hard drugs like heroin, don't affect the child's IQ. So a lot of people say, oh, well, if the child is smart, if he has a normal IQ, then, you know, the drugs didn't do it, have any harm. But there are much more subtle difficulties that can occur. And the most common fall into three categories. Uh, the first is called neurocognitive functioning. But what that really means is the ability to think ahead, to uh, plan and complete a task, to follow directions, uh, to understand the consequences of behavior. Uh, it also can, that area can uh, be, it can affect, uh, you know, cause learning disabilities, problems with memory. So that's one whole area. And the main substances that can cause these kinds of difficulties uh, really lie in the range of the alcohol. Um, there can be some of that with some of the other substances, but mainly it's alcohol that uh, affects those arenas. The it... second area is called uh, self-regulation, the ability to regulate behavior. And this is not only alcohol, but it, this is where marijuana comes into play. Uh, the so-called hard drugs such as cocaine, heroin, can cause difficulties with uh, regulating behavior, uh, staying on task, paying attention. Uh, a lot of these children end up with uh, getting diagnosed with ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So it's that self-regulation that really uh, affects the children. And that's just about all the substances, including nicotine. And this really shows up and has an impact on educational attainment. And the third area is something called adaptive behavior. That is the ability to take uh, what you know and apply it to daily living skills, like understanding money, uh, understanding how to read a map or a bus schedule. Uh, it's day-to-day -day, uh, planning and follow-through. The main substance that affects uh, uh, adaptive behaviors is alcohol. Uh, the other drugs don't have much impact. So what you can see, depending on which substance the woman has used, uh, it can be a combination of any or all of those three areas of functioning. And these, any one area can have significant impact on the child's daily life as he grows older, uh, including both at home and at school, right. and can right. manifest uh, most often in behavior problems and erratic behaviors that people just don't understand. Now, is there anything that can be done with these kids after they're already born? Are they just sentenced or doomed to a lifetime of this sort of behavior? I mean, are... are because no. of the mechanism that this was introduced, because it was alcohol or because it was marijuana or, or nicotine, whatever it is, is there something, some diet or behavior types of things that can be done to help kids with this? Or, again, sure, are absolutely. they? Absolutely. There, there, there are interventions uh, that really do work and improve long-term outcome. And the key here is early intervention. The earlier the child can receive interventions, uh, the more successful those interventions will be. So what we, um, what, what we know from research, especially around alcohol, if a child is identified as being affected by prenatal substance exposure 
and receives interventions before the age of about six, the child is going to do much, much better long term. Hmm. So the whole key is prevention, of course, uh, getting families to understand that you can't use any of these substances during pregnancy. And the next step is if you do use, the earlier you get interventions for the child, uh, the better. Uh, Which even means that you have to identify, have, right? That that's, that's you have gonna... to identify. And that's an issue, you know, helping physicians learn to identify these children. Um, right. And, and making, so, it, making it a little bit more, I, I don't know, I don't even want to say exactly less punitive perhaps to, for the mothers to admit that this is what the issue is because that's probably the best way that the physicians are going to identify it. But I would imagine there's such a big stigma that most of the women who are ingesting these substances know somewhere, whether it's deep down inside or right up front, mm-hmm. that they shouldn't be doing it. Right. So and they so may not want to admit it later on. Yeah. We have to remove the stigma. We have to remove the heavy arm of the law, and we have to take public health approaches so that we encourage people to speak openly to their physicians, uh, especially if they've had a child and they're seeing a pediatrician or you know a nurse practitioner or a family physician, uh, to be upfront. Uh, you know, nobody. These women, well, many of them may need treatment. So one of the aspects, of course, is referring the woman to treatment, but the other is getting the child in to intervention services. What else do we need to know about what can what can other people do? I mean, if, for example, the role of the father. That was actually the the conference that I uh, that yeah. I heard you speak at was a, a conference that was dealing a lot with the fathers and their role. What can the dads do? to help out with this besides slap hands? <laughs> well, actually, the dads have to go back uh, and think through their role in conception. We know any substance a man takes, any of these substances we're talking about, crosses over into the semen and uh, has ac- direct access to the sperm that a man is producing. So uh, we know the main effect is that the sperm uh, die when exposed. So men who are using any of these substances have lower sperm counts. And so they do, um, they do have more trouble conceiving. Now, this is not a form of birth control, of course, because you still can conceive while using these substances. So the next role of the man is after, you know, after conception uh, is to become drug-free so that he encourages his wife or partner to become drug-free also. Uh, this is a family approach, and when you have the support of the male partner, uh, you're going to have much more success in the woman achieving sobriety yeah. and a drug-free status. Now, one of the things I remember you mentioning at your, your talk at the conference was not only that it can produce infertility, but also that the sperm can be deformed and can yes. produce uh, problems in the fetuses as well. Well, uh <laughs> This is getting into Possibly. some very new science that uh, is not quite as clear. Uh, what we know is that it can cause changes in the sperm, and those changes in the sperm, if the man conceives, are passed down to the next generation of males, and which causes the same changes in the male offspring sperm. Now, this, all this information is from animal studies. 
this has not been done in human studies. So, uh, you know, that information is not quite as clear, so we have to be very careful with it. Uh, but if a man's going to conceive, if they're planning a pregnancy, or if he's having unprotected sex, the best thing he can do is stay drug and alcohol-free. Um, now, you know, a lot of people aren't going to buy that. Uh, but at least uh, if we can get people to at least think about it, we will have accomplished something. Well, even if it's not just for what his effect specifically on the fetus, it's his role model effect. I mean, if he's smoking, it's going to be harder for her to stop. Uh, right. Right. And if he's taking drugs, it's going to be harder for her to stop. So his certainly not doing it is uh, increases the chances that she'll not do it. Right. And, and I think we have to get away from the practice of thinking of the mother and the father uh, Separately. Ira Chasnoff is the author of The Mystery of Risk, Drugs, Alcohol, Pregnancy, and the Vulnerable Child. Ira, thanks very much. Okay, thank you, Armin. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Hello and welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brought. Time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment and we're going to talk about teens and their sometimes often unexplainable behavior. Dear Mr. Dad, if I wasn't in the delivery room for my daughter's birth, I'd swear that she had a secret identical twin. Sometimes she's delightful and lovely to be around. Other times she's a nightmare. Some days she seems to love us and need us. Other days she's hateful and nasty. People keep telling me to relax. It's just She's just a normal teen. I know they're right, but her schizophrenic behavior is driving us crazy. Is there some way to get rid of some of the downs but keep the ups? I wish that nature had come up with a better way for young people to discover their adult identity, but I'm afraid we're stuck with this one. Their logic-defying careening back and forth between being an irrational infant one second to being wise and wonderful the next is part of the deal. But think about it this way. While it's confusing and painful for us, it's got to be a whole lot worse for them. Actually, if you think back really hard to when you were your daughter's age, you may be able to remember how scary it felt at those times when you had no idea what you might do or what might come out of your mouth. You may be able to get back in touch with the emotional highs and lows you felt, how infuriating it was that no one understood you, and how frustrating it was that everyone insisted on treating you like a child and refused to give you the responsibility you thought you were ready for. You felt completely out of control, and you were actually right. Adolescence is a time of real upheaval, when our mind, body, and everything else is constantly changing. Teens are struggling to figure out where they fit in the world, and they're trying on different feelings and moods. 
Throw in a still-developing brain that's being assaulted by hormones, and you've got a bunch of Frankenstein-like creatures that the world doesn't understand and who don't understand themselves either. And it keeps getting worse. Parents fear teens' volatility, rightfully so. Their teachers push them to succeed academically, and their peers push them to conform socially and physically, which makes it hard for them to maintain their individuality. Fortunately, it's not all bad. Your daughter is going to experience things she'll never forget, like her first date, prom, and getting her driver's license. She may never feel things, the highs or the lows, as keenly as she does now, and someday she may remember these years with a touch of fondness. As a parent, you're going to struggle too. You'll need to be authoritative, not authoritarian, and you'll need to be protective but maintain a respectful, loving distance. In other words, be there for her, but do so without looking like you are. It's natural to want to know everything that your daughter is going to do at every second, but trying to make that a reality will backfire and alienate her. As a rule, treat your daughter like an adult until you notice that she needs some parental intervention. She's doing everything she can to establish her independence, and even though it's going to be hard, it's best to try to respect her privacy and rights. At the same time, act quickly when things don't go according to plan. Hopefully that won't be a problem. You've known your daughter long enough to know when she truly needs your help and when she just needs a little time and space to figure things out for herself. Let her have her adult moments, but be there for her as a coach, a mentor, a guide, and, of course, a parent when she needs any one of those. We'll be back next week. Until then, I'm Armin Broad. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.